When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I am back, joined once again by Mike McDaniel of InsideTheACC.com. Mike, it's good to be back, and I thought that you and Cam did a great job last week on the podcast, and frankly, I'm a little bit worried about my job security at this point. I think Cam might be making a run at my job. We uh, we missed you last week, Joey, but we're glad you're back. Uh, podcast Cam went well, I thought, um, but you've been my co-host for, well, going on nine episodes now this evening, so I'm not just going to leave you in the dust. Uh, you're still the man. So uh, back on the podcast, um, first question for you, how was Ireland? Because you saw Georgia Tech win at the beginning of your trip, and then you spent a whole other week there in a place you've never been before, how was it? Yeah, so like you said, I mean, that was that was actually my first time in Europe at all. Um, longest flight ever taken in my life. Uh, it was it was incredible, though. It was an amazing experience. Um, we, we spent the first four days in Dublin there for the Georgia Tech-Boston College game week one. Um, I thought Georgia Tech especially showed out extremely well in Dublin. You just walking around the streets during the day and going to different events and such. I mean, there were fans everywhere. It was, it was really cool just seeing that leading up to the game. Uh, Boston College had a ton of fans there, too, especially earlier in the week. I thought I, I ran into more Boston College fans, and then the, the scale started to tip a little bit as we got towards the weekend. But uh, the game itself, super cool atmosphere. Um, there were people complaining about, oh, you know, the, the stadium production was a little too Boston College-centric, but it was like, well, this is technically a home game for Boston College. Um, so, of course, it was going to be, but uh, exciting game. Uh, obviously, Georgia Tech pulls out the, the victory with a, a last-minute touchdown from Diedrich Mills. Um, it was it was way more stressful than I wanted it to be. Obviously, it made the, the rest of the trip that much better uh, to see him come away with a win. But uh, o- overall, the, the rest of the trip was fantastic. Spent the following week just traveling around to different towns in Ireland. I think we hit Cork, Waterford, Killarney, Galway, and Belfast. Um, so lots of driving done on the, on the left side of the road, which really required some uh, some recalibration upon getting back to the states but uh overall it was, I mean, it was a fantastic trip we had a great time i was about to say you hit all of the major towns in ireland it sounds like i mean going to cork obviously spending time in dublin killarney i mean those are the spots you want to hit in ireland now i have never been to ireland i'm like 70 percent irish i've never been there so it makes no sense so that's a trip i'm definitely going to have to take down the line at some point but um yeah, good to hear you had a good trip. Georgia Tech 1-0, and then, of course, beating Mercer, so moving to 2-0. And, um, yeah, man, good vibes. Your, your team's winning. You had a great trip. You said goodbye to work for a week and a half. So what is there to complain about? Uh, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, short of just, you know, getting the body clock back in order. <laughs> um, so now, yeah, now, now you're all set. You know, you just got to... Get some, get some sleep. You'll be uh, you'll be locked down, ready to go. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the goal. Um, yeah, hi, highly recommended. If you haven't been to Ireland before, it is absolutely just gorgeous. Um, green is the appropriate color for that country, with just 
the amount of just beauty uh, up and down. So would highly recommend it. All those towns really cool. I love the pub culture there. Uh, that's just me, but um, highly recommended. But Mike, I, as I understand it, you took a trip of your own recently here. Yeah, um, it was interesting. So I went to the Battle of Bristol. Uh, I'm a Virginia Tech alum, as most of you loyal listeners, of course, know. Um, and if you don't, welcome to the podcast. We're a uh, basketball conference podcast. This is episode 10. Um, but more specifically, and, a football podcast. Don't be confused. Yeah, yeah, don't be confused, exactly. Um, no, but, you know, as a Virginia Tech alum, I felt like I should try to go down to that game if I could, and I did. It was a great experience. I was able to uh, go to college game day on Saturday morning, which was awesome. That was my first experience at college game day live, which was really cool. Um, got my sign on TV. It was the Steve Harvey sign saying Tennessee wins, so poking a little bit of humor with Steve Harvey, of course, making the whole issue with uh, Miss Universe flap um, a few months back, so that was cool. I uh, got some FaceTime there, so that was pretty neat. And then um, overall, I mean, the tailgating was awesome. I'll tell you what, man, like teams in the SEC, which, Joey, I think we've had this discussion before on an earlier episode, but teams from the SEC really know how to tailgate. And it was kind of a weird experience for me because I was I was down there with my sister, my girlfriend, um, a couple other friends, and we were down there, uh, you know, tailgating and we were actually, we camped the whole weekend, so it was a different experience, really bumming it. Um, hotels were crazy expensive. You know, I have a job now, Joey, but there's a limit um, as far as what you want to pay for a hotel. Um, you know, over 200 a night was out of my price range. Um, it was a little crazy when, when you pay for the ticket and all the other stuff uh, that goes along with tailgating and all, all the good stuff when you're on the road for a weekend. But, uh, the experience was fun. Obviously, really disappointed with the outcome of the game, which we'll get into here in a second. But I don't know, man. I think we have a leader in the clubhouse as far as like new, most hated, most annoying fan base. Tennessee is right up there with like the irrational fans thinking their team is really good when they haven't really been good since like the early 2000s. It's like really obnoxious. Um, and they got this like this crazy mentality to them that's just completely off the rails at times. So we got a new leader in the clubhouse, Joey. It used to be Clemson's fan base for me because they were just wild and crazy. Their team's really good, so they were like easy for me to go at. Um, Miami fans were up there as well. But there, there are some ACC teams now that are lower in the pecking order among most hated fan bases for me because Tennessee has now jumped to the top of my list. Mike, I feel like you may have had a bit of a, a sheltered fanhood thus far coming from Virginia and knowing that the in-state rival is Virginia as a fellow ACC team. Meanwhile, coming from Atlanta where the in-state rival is Georgia and constantly having to deal with their fan base, not to mention other uh, SEC rivalries that Georgia Tech has, such as Auburn and others, you learn eventually just do not ever underestimate the irrationality of SEC fan bases because it is really something else at times. Um, they, they can be... Uh, a bit of an obnoxious bunch, we'll say. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about the atmosphere itself as, as far as the tailgating goes. You know, you said that SEC fan bases is as obnoxious and irrational as they can be. They, they've got tailgating down. But my question becomes, was it, like a, was it more of a friendly environment of like, a, you know, hey, let's tailgate together? Or was it like a hostile one of stay away from my tailgate, you're wearing Virginia Tech colors? 
Uh, let's lean, well, okay, well, it depended on the area. I mean, some fans were all right, of course. I mean, not all of them are, you know, completely unbearable, right? But a good majority, it was, like, hostile. Like, you'd walk by, you know, wearing Virginia Tech stuff, and, you know, they come after you. Yeah, you know, Michael Vick killed a bunch of dogs, and then I go back at him with a bunch of the Peyton Manning sexual assault allegations from college. So, like... No mercy. There was no mercy, yeah. And, like, what do I think of Peyton Manning overall? Like, I think he was a really good quarterback in the NFL, but, like, that stuff never leaves you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, so they brought out the big guns of Michael Vick, and I think Michael Vick's a despicable human being, but, like, he comes after me and Michael Vick stuff, I'm going right back after him, Peyton Manning stuff. I mean, it was hostile, man. It was, like... You know, we had we don't really play Tennessee at all. I mean, we played them in, like, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, like, years ago. But, like, we don't play them at all, ever. And uh, we're only separated by about 250 miles. So it's interesting. It's like the in-state rival that you never had because, you know, Tech plays Virginia every year, and Virginia's always terrible. And the fan base hates you. And it was just a really interesting environment. It was hostile, like within the game too. Um, obviously the atmosphere, like at Bristol Motor Speedway, really different, uh, really cool. It wasn't quite as loud as I expected, despite having 150,000 fans. I think it was just because you're so far away from the field. And, um, you know, when you're at a game at Lane Stadium or, you know, anywhere else really, um, you're used to being like right on top of the field, but we were so far kind of removed from the action. It didn't seem quite as loud. And I'm wondering, you know, right within the field of play, if it was the same way for the players since they were kind of, you know, so far so far within the track and the fans were so far spread out, you know, beyond the track and, um, you know, with the game being played on the infield. So I don't know. It, it was it was interesting. But, you know, the fans went back and forth all weekend. And uh, the tailgating was interesting, man. You, you didn't want to get anywhere near a Tennessee tailgate and they didn't want to get near our tailgates. And it was that sort of environment you know a lot of hate in the atmosphere i thought so it, it was it was interesting it, it was something i'm not used to experiencing within the acc because tech doesn't have any real bitter rivals within the conference except uva but tech's kind of owned that rivalry now for the better part of the last 10 or 12 years so it was it was definitely different welcome to that sec footprint of fan bases it is uh it is a different world you could say um two two more questions here mike first of all have you have you gotten Rocky Top out of your head yet? Oh my god, the worst! It's just the worst. Um, you know, within I, I mean, I got to college game day on Saturday morning at five thirty in the morning because I wanted to make sure I was there. You, you know, in the front row, have my sign seen on TV, like the whole nine. You want to like if, if you're gonna have an experience like that, like my mindset is, you got to make the most of it because you don't know when it's gonna happen again. And, and with something like game day, it's kind of hard to predict. Like, you can look at a schedule at the beginning of the season, and you could say, oh, game day might be at X, Y, and Z games. But then when it comes down to it, and when you get the actual schedule, you know, college game day decides what game they're going to be at the week before the game. So you really have no idea. So once I found out it was coming to battle at Bristol, I made sure to go all out for it because I didn't know when I was going to have that opportunity again. So, you know, I was there from 5.30 until noon when game day ended. And in those six and a half hours, I think – Honestly, like, Rocky Top must have been played at least 15 to 20 times. Um, That's all? I mean, it was 15 to 20 times in that stretch. And then at the tailgates, everybody had it blasting and they were singing it. And then you couldn't get away from it, Joe. It wasn't like – and the reason why I think it was – the number's kind of low at college game day was because they're – 
acapelling the thing. I mean, it's not like a deal where it's like, oh yeah, the DJ is playing a bunch of Rocky Top. You know what I mean? Because they had like the DJ in between commercial breaks to like keep fans entertained. Mm-hmm. And the fans just start bursting out in a Rocky Top. It's like, okay, we get it. Like, great song. Like, please stop. You know. Um, <laughs> It was, Things Tennessee fans <laughs> usually hear. Please stop. Yeah, yeah like, stop it. Um, that, and combined with their stupid cheer, you know, it's great to be a Tennessee Vol. Like, okay, congratulations. You win, like, four games in the SEC every year. Like, leave all of us alone. Just stop chanting it. And then, okay, so Tech doesn't play their best game, which we'll get into in a second, right? So Tennessee takes the lead, and... The fans are chanting SEC, SEC. I'm like, look, if you're Alabama, chant that all you want. But if you're like a middle of the road team in the SEC East, one of the worst divisions in college football, shut up. <laughs> like, it's it's like it's unbelievable to me. Like, your team isn't good. You play in the the one of the worst. Of, like, they have Florida and they have Georgia, and who else do they got in the SEC East? Like, they don't they don't have anybody in the SEC East. They they play a soft schedule all the time. Then they play a real team in the SEC, like Alabama, and they get their clocks cleaned. And it's like, stop chanting SEC. Like, you're like a, a, a third-world SEC team. You know, it's like, get out of here. So, Mike, when, yeah. you, when you drink as much moonshine as they do, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, it's unbelievable. I, it's unbelievable. They could uh, they could drink. A bunch of them had the, uh, the alcoholic shirts on. Oh, Like, gosh. VOL. Yeah, it's like, come on now. Oh, um, man. Just... But uh, good for them. They they love their team. Um, it's good to have a fan base that cares. I think their fan base definitely cares, which is, uh, you know, something you need. And, and when football is as big as it is in the SEC conference, it's, you know, really good to have that going on. So uh, good for them, but it doesn't make me hate them any less. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we both had kind of once-in-a-lifetime experiences to kick off this season. It's, it's pretty cool just as a fan to kind of get to enjoy and be a part of these things that – they don't come about very often. I mean, this is obviously this was a world record-setting crowd for a college football game that you were a part of. I was a part of Georgia Tech's first ever international game uh, in over a hundred years of football. So it, it, this is cool stuff that you know we'll be able to remember for a long time, and hopefully several other fans were in attendance and can kind of say the same. But Mike, let's talk about the action on the field. So we want to just keep rolling with this Virginia Tech Tennessee game. Um, I, I don't know how much you saw from your seat because apparently that was very much in question of kind of what people were able to make out. But uh, from my understanding, things started out very well for Virginia Tech here and then just kind of went downhill pretty quick. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely a fair assessment. Uh, Virginia Tech opened up first drive of the game, and, you know, from my standpoint, I was in one of the end zones, which made it easy for me to see, like, I'd say the 30, like, my own 30-yard line on. Um, but it was pretty tough to see my own end zone just because I was – I know that sounds weird because you're used to, like, a normal college stadium, but I was so far back, and there were so many rows of people, and then um, just so much going on. You know, you have the track, and you have some tents set up, and you got a bunch of other stuff going on. It was kind of hard to see your own end zone. It was easier to see stuff that was further away. Um, so I found myself, when they were actually coming at me, like, in my end zone, I actually saw myself using – the Jumbotron a lot more than expected, but um, that was just my standpoint. They were okay seats. Um, can't complain when you're in a stadium with that many people, right? Uh, so the, the view was actually better than I expected, but I still didn't see everything that I was hoping to see um, from a regular football standpoint. Um, but Tech got off to a pretty good start. They had, a, they had a good opening drive. 
Um, they ended up going for it, or not going for it. I wish they went for it. They ended up kicking a field goal on fourth and one. They're on the opening drive of the game. They missed it. It was a 47-yard field goal. And Tech was kind of controlling the tempo early on offense, and I was really hoping that Fuente might go for it there on fourth and one. Ended up not doing it. Um, they didn't go for it. Tennessee takes over. Virginia Tech forces them to punt. And then Tech got rolling on offense. They score a couple of touchdowns. Trayvon McMillan obviously breaks the long 69-yard touchdown, makes it 14-0. Virginia Tech fans are pretty excited and the Hokies were in complete control of this football game I mean it's it's interesting to see the final score the way it was 45-24 because without the five turnovers and I know it sounds like okay yeah it's, you know it's five turnovers of course without five turnovers you could say your team would win but Tech was in complete control from start to finish in this game as far as a tempo standpoint uh, they were controlling the tempo on offense it got away from them a little bit in the second quarter with play calling I thought they didn't throw the ball as much as they did in the first I thought that hurt them they tried running the ball a little bit more which I'm okay with because they had some success in the first quarter, but the reason they were having success is because they were taking, you know, they were running some stuff off balance with Tennessee. And, you know, the thing that ended up happening to them is they got a little bit out of rhythm. The play calling wasn't great in the second quarter and kind of got away from them. They had a bunch of turnovers, five fumbles to be exact. The moment that I think the game changed for me, um, you know, from my standpoint watching the game was in the second quarter. Tennessee gets on the board, they get two touchdown passes, it's a tied game, and then all of a sudden Virginia Tech is forced to punt, and I, I was saying, you know, to a couple of my friends in the stands, I said, this is a huge drive for Virginia Tech, because, you know, will they answer the bell after a couple of early turnovers? Well, they didn't. They were forced to punt. Um, Greg Stroman, the defensive back, who just got beat on a long touchdown earlier in the last drive, returns the the ensuing kickoff. He was about five yards deep in his own end zone, took it out to a 12, and got stopped. And Tech ran a couple plays in a row where they didn't gain a bunch of, didn't gain any yards. They gained three, and then they lost three ended up netting to zero. They were on the 12-yard line, and they, they were forced to punt. And this is when the when the game turned for me, and it wasn't a turnover, but Virginia Tech had an eight-yard punt, and it, it was shanked Oof. off the side of the f- foot of Mitchell Ludwig. And from that moment on, Tennessee obviously went in, punched it in, and scored. Tennessee went on to score 31 unanswered points because Tech you know, proceeded between the middle of the second and towards the end of the third to turn it over a couple more times. Um, and Tennessee scored 31 unanswered points, and all of a sudden Tech went from up 14 nothing to down 31-14 in a huge hole. Yeah. So it was it, it was tough to watch. I was gonna say that right there. I mean, that's that's very much a triple whammy there of uh, of a little bit of a special teams gaff, you know, going three and out, and then losing the field position battle. Um, I mean, that's three things right on top of each other that does not help you momentum wise or score wise. So. It, it makes sense that things just completely started to unravel from there. Yeah, and you know it was a it was a game in which I thought Gerard Evans at the quarterback position for Virginia Tech. This was his first really big start as a true college football player. He played junior college junior college ball his first two years of school. He comes into Tech as a junior, opens up against Liberty last weekend, and then of course this past Saturday playing against Tennessee in front of the biggest college football crowd ever. Um, how's that for your first real start against an FBS team? But he performed pretty well. I mean, he went 20 of 28 for 214 yards and a touchdown, averaged a little over 7.5 yards of completion. He took care of the ball in the running game as well, which is something he struggled with against Liberty. He was fumbling the ball on, on a lot of the spread option runs they were doing. Um, he, he had a couple of late decisions to pitch the ball, which ended up hurting Tech, and um, turned the Tech-Liberty game into one that was a little bit more interesting than a lot of Tech fans would have liked, especially early. But Tech pulled away in the second half. But 
Evans is taking care of the football with his arm, and I think that's huge for the Hokies because they've had issues turnovers throwing the football, and now they just have to figure out how they're going to remedy this huge issue that's now, you know, a case of fumbleitis. Really, um, the Hokies have ten fumbles now in the first two games. They've lost nine of them. They had seven fumbles all of last season. So, you know, the ten fumbles. I don't know if it leads college football, but it's it's definitely in the top five or ten. I would say. Um, I'm not sure any team would have 10 fumbles except for Virginia Tech. I'd like to see that stat. Um, so they need to just do a better job protecting the football. And it, it was a game in which Tech really controlled controlled the game. I mean, I mean, Tech went 6 of 13 on third down, which is great. I mean, you're playing essentially a road game. I know it was a neutral site, but they had, I mean, Tennessee outnumbered the Virginia Tech fans about 80 to 20. Um, Tennessee goes 3 for 13 on third down, which is what you want. Tech has 21 first downs to Tennessee's 17. Um total yards. Virginia Tech had 400 total yards. Tennessee had 330. Tech had 214 yards passing. Tennessee had 91. And Tennessee ended up running the ball, of course, when they went up. So they had more rushing yards when it was all said and done. But the two the two things to tell the story for me um, when looking at this game, Tech had eight penalties for 101 yards and they had five fumbles lost. And then what really turned into a sixth turnover for me was that eight-yard punt. And then to top it all off, that the one interesting thing... Um, that, that I realized after the game, I, I was talking to one of my one of my old roommates from college, and Memphis penalized teams, or, or I think it was third or fourth most penalized team in college football last season under Justin Fuente. And Virginia Tech's penalties, they had a bunch of stupid penalties in this game that really hurt them. Um, you, you know, a couple of really big personal foul penalties, a couple of late hits on Josh Dobbs that, you know, were completely unwarranted. Um, they just had a bunch of issues that you know, you hope you don't commit in a game that was as big as this one for Virginia Tech. They could have put them back on the map. Um, I, I think Tennessee's a bit overrated, but at the same time, this would have been a big win um, against a top-20 team in a hostile environment, even though it was technically neutral site. So not a good showing for Virginia Tech. you got to take care of the football. But I think overall there are some good good things on both sides to take away. I thought the defense played really well. They were put in some tough positions all night long. But um, offensively, just take care of the ball. And, and there are a lot of um, – good plays made by this quarterback, Gerard Evans, and I think he's he's showing some promise moving forward. So I think I've rambled on enough, Joey. I'll let you get get a couple words in here. But, um, yeah, they, they came up short, and it was a game, you know, Tech loses by 21, but I think if they play that game again, you know, if they were to play that game again a couple weeks from now, I think Tech plays Tennessee a lot closer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to like for Virginia Tech moving forward uh, between kind of what Gerard Evans is doing for you. and I mean, I, I look at – it's a little hard to say what Virginia Tech is at this point, and I think that, like you said, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily fluky that Tennessee won. I think it's maybe fluky that they won by three touchdowns. Um, when you yep. consider that Virginia Tech fumbled the ball five times and lost all of them, um, there's just there's a lot there that it's it makes it a little hard to gauge what's uh, I guess what to expect moving forward. So like you said, I mean, Virginia Tech put up 400 yards on a Power Five defense. When's the last time you could say that? Yeah, it's um, been a while for sure. There, there's a lot to like there, you know, and so it's it's uh, I don't know. We'll we'll have to keep monitoring Virginia Tech. It, it's it's probably too soon to say what they should be down the stretch this year. They, they've got a little bit of a tough schedule ahead of them, but um, it, lots to like there, and kind of unfortunate that some of that happened how it did, but um, ultimately a lot of a lot of positive looking forward. Let's move on real quick, Mike here um, to the. The, the other probably big game on the slate this weekend for the ACC, and that was 
Pittsburgh hosting Penn State, renewing their rivalry. Uh, this was a game that I went back and rewatched after the fact, and it was it was an interesting matchup. I guess Pitt, Pittsburgh came out really hot. Um, I, I believe they led 28-14 at halftime, and they jumped out to they they were comfortably in control of this game much through the through all the first half. Uh, Penn State kind of crawled back into it, and a late turnover on a very bad play uh, by Trace McSorley basically ends the game, giving the Pittsburgh the win. Uh, Pittsburgh, I thought, looked really good on offense. The, James Conner is nothing short of like a, a walking, talking miracle. Coming off of a knee injury and oh, also cancer, uh, and looks faster than we remember him. He's fully comfortable running between the tackles. He's still got his strength and his size. Um, not to mention, I mean, Pittsburgh just generally looked pretty good. They, they were mixing up a lot of the play calls. They, they weren't trying to attack Penn State up the middle in their front seven as much. They were trying to get the ball in the perimeter and having a lot of success with it. Um, meanwhile, the, the Pittsburgh front seven looked really good. My biggest issue with Pittsburgh in this game was their secondary looked very vulnerable uh, and maybe that's Penn State in their passing attack. I know they've got a new offensive coordinator there uh, who runs more of a, a pass-heavy system, but lots to like about Pitt, and, and I'm feeling a little bit better about my preseason pick for them to win the Coastal, Mike. So it's interesting, right, because Pitt has all these playmakers in their secondary, and that was the one soft spot I felt like in this matchup with Penn State. Now, admittedly, I did not see a lot of this game. had to go back and watch it after the fact, but... I was really impressed for Penn State with Trace McSorley. Um, I know he had that mistake late in the game, but he throws for 332 and a touchdown, had a high completion percentage, looked pretty good. What you said about James Conner, I think all the proof you need to see here, obviously coming back from the knee injury and cancer and the fact that he's now got you know, a handful of touchdowns in the first two games, is that Quadri Allison ran for 1,100 yards last season, and he's completely taken a backseat. Um, and some of that could have to do with the – the way that James Conner ran, you know, prior to the injury and um, the health issues. But, you know, I, I agree with you. Conner looks as good as he ever has, which is a scary thing for the rest of the conference, but also one of the greatest stories in college football. Um, so he's really easy to root for. I thought Nate Peterman, uh, you know, didn't throw the ball a lot. He, you know, 11 of 15 for 91 yards, but he threw three touchdowns. And, you know, the, the throws that he made, um, he made sure they counted. And I think that's that's the one really interesting thing about this offense is they're so run heavy, but Peterman is so efficient as a passer and a game manager that he's almost the perfect quarterback for that system. So I agree with you. I think you know Pitt's a dangerous team. That the back end of their secondary, they need to clean up some of the issues they had. A couple of busted coverages. It looked you know really like just some miscommunication. They really need to clean up. I agree with you. I think some of that has to do with the Penn State passing attack, but. Overall, I agree with you. Lots of like with Pittsburgh and the, the running game and the fact that their front seven of their defense is so good. I, I'm so high on that front seven that, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to be right in the mix here in the Coastal Division, I think, all season long. And it's really it's really a good sign for the Pitt fan base that the Panthers put up 42 points against a Big Ten team, um, which – you know, Pitt has struggled scoring here over the last couple of seasons, and they've relied on their defense. But now with James Conner back, Nate Peterman looking really good in the pocket, really comfortable because of the solid running game that he has, and the offensive line's playing great. I mean, Pittsburgh's a team to watch for in the ACC, like we've kind of assumed from the start. But 
a really good win for Pitt and an in-state, you know, an in-state rivalry against a team that, despite being rivals with them, they, they don't play them very often. So it's a team they don't see, and it was a really good win. If the secondary is indeed the issue for Pittsburgh, it, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and there's there's four games that stick out to me that could really cause them a lot of issues in that regard. And unfortunately for Pitt, we're going to find out a lot really soon here because the next two weekends at Oklahoma State and at UNC, a couple of teams who both could very much uh, have an easy time of kind of uh, manipulating that. And then later in the year, back-to-back weeks, again, on the road at Miami and at Clemson the first two weekends in November, those are four teams that very much could expose a, a weak secondary, but like you said, I mean, Pittsburgh has some good playmakers in their secondary, so interested to see if that trend kind of continues, but even then, I mean, those four games, if, if you manage to split them, I mean, that's a, and then win the rest, I mean, that's a 10-2 and two finish, and that's, you're going to Charlotte, so um, a lot to like about Pittsburgh early in the year. They look good on offense. They need to diversify a little bit. And I was going to say I agree with you, Joey, with that Oklahoma State game this coming weekend. You don't think Oklahoma State's going to be ready after being jobbed against Central Michigan? I mean, give me a break. So Oklahoma State's going to be ready to play. I know it's an out-of-conference game that doesn't really have any impact on uh, you, you know who plays in the ACC championship game, obviously. But this is, a, this is kind of a trap game because I know Pitt will be looking ahead to this UNC matchup, which matters as much or more than it ever has an early game, you know, a real early game in the grand scheme of things in September that could really dictate who wins the Coastal Division maybe before it's all said and done, depending on how Miami continues to play. So, um, yeah, Pitt's got to be ready for this Oklahoma State team because this is not going to be an easy game this coming weekend. And that is not an easy road trip either to, to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I mean, that is – this is a rough situation for Pittsburgh. they got to they – gotta, play a lot of offense to keep up with Oklahoma State so this is a big test for them really really three weeks in a row hosting Penn State at Oklahoma State and then at UNC so Pittsburgh if they're if they're going to win the Coastal and they're going to you know make some noise in the national stage they're going to earn it here so we'll find out a lot here soon uh, Mike let's move on we gotta we gotta talk real quick um I'm not sure if you're aware or if you've been keeping up with, with this whole thing, but um, we're on the Lamar Jackson hype train here on this pipe train. This, this All aboard. All aboard. All aboard. The Lamar Jackson hype train. My goodness. What's he, he has like 13 touchdowns in two games, and by the way, he's only played the first half of those games. Okay, so this is an interesting stat, and by interesting, I mean absolutely absurd. Lamar Jackson, through his first two games, has 697 passing yards and has over 500 rushing yards, Joey. He has 1,100 yards total by himself, more than 99 FBS teams. By himself. That is silly. Now, he's played two less-than-stellar opponents— Right, I mean, they, they, you know, Louisville had two relatively easy games. They played Charlotte in the opener, and Lamar Jackson had eight touchdowns at the half. And they play a Syracuse team this weekend, which, you know, hats off to Syracuse for hanging in there early. But Louisville pulled away, 62-28, and Lamar Jackson had 411 yards passing and 199 yards rushing on 21 carries, and accounts for five touchdowns. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. 
I mean, I don't want to poo-poo this whole, you know, road trip to Syracuse. Um, playing Syracuse in the Carrier Dome is never a, a super just, you know, mail-it-in kind of task. I, I think somebody said that they, if I remember correctly, they only they didn't lose a game in the Carrier Dome last year by more than 10 points, and that's playing a little bit of a murderer's row up there. I think they played Clemson there. They played LSU there. Syracuse plays tough in the Carrier Dome, and Louisville came in and blew the doors off of them. And Lamar Jackson committing seemingly, like, criminal acts on the field of just, like, hurtling people and, you know, sh- just showing people up. This guy is is a monster, and I think there is reason to think that he might be secretly leading the Heisman race going into week three. Is that this isn't the fair? This, is, this isn't the false Heisman watch either. Uh, this is legit. I mean, he's garnering legit hype. And a lot, of, a lot of people are saying, okay, look, Lamar Jackson, you know, Louisville hasn't played a real defense yet. I'm like, I'm sorry, Syracuse is not very good, but they're an ACC team that Lamar Jackson just completely worked on national TV on Friday night and had no problem doing it. He's doing it with his legs like he always has, and now he's doing it with his arm 411 yards through the air. Are you kidding me? I mean, he's he's got it all. He's a complete package now. We knew that he always had the athletic ability. We knew he could run the football as well as any player in the country, not just quarterback, any player in the country. He has elite-level playmaking ability when he's when he has the football in his hands. And now he's backing it up with his arm as well. His footwork's improved in the pocket. The offensive line's playing better for him and protecting it as well as it ever has. And, and he's always had a huge arm. And he's showing it off this year. He's got improved mechanics. He's a complete package, Joey. And I think he's a leader in the clubhouse in the ACC as far as the Heisman Trophy's concerned. Um, I, I know it's early. It's the second week of the season. We don't want to over, completely overblow this, but he's been as impressive as any player in the entire country, and especially with how you know Deshaun Watson's looked for Clemson here early. I mean, there's no question in my mind Lamar Jackson is the leader in the clubhouse as far as Heisman contenders in the ACC. I tooted my own horn a little bit earlier saying that I, I, I picked Pittsburgh to win the Coastal preseason, and they've made me look kind of smart so far. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna toot it one more time in saying that I picked Lamar Jackson to be the offensive player of the year in the ACC, and he's also yep. made me look kind of smart so far. So, yep. I, I'm just I'm gonna ride this until it doesn't work anymore because that that is inevitable. Um, my my horn will no longer be tooted at some point this season, but uh, I'm gonna toot it while I can. So, um, yeah, Lamar Jackson really good. 62-28, Louisville smoking Syracuse on the road. Um, a big game coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Mike, let's move on. Can we... I feel bad about this, but there's a term that we need to bring in Don't feel bad. discussion because this is important. Let it happen. Um, our friends, the, the Clemson Tigers, almost pulled a Clemson this weekend. Yes, sir. They almost Clemsoning almost made a return for the second weekend in a row, Joey. My goodness. Uh, 34.5-point favorites at home against... Don't remind me. Troy of... Well, who, who's Troy? The, the AAC or the Conference USA or... I don't... God. I don't know. Uh, let me look but, here. It's Sun Belt. They're third in the Sun Belt Sun after Belt. two weeks. The Sun Belt. The Sun Belt's Troy Trojans... Clemson, by all means, should have smoked them. And I, I went back and I watched the first half of this game, Mike, and whew, Clemson's offense came out and just just with nothing. I mean, they they were just they were flat. They couldn't run the ball. There was just no energy on their offensive side of the ball. I thought the defense held up fairly well. 
um, even considering that it was Troy they were going up against. But their offense, what's going on with this Tiger offense, Mike? This is not what we signed up for after last year and their, their national runner-up status. It doesn't make any sense, really. Uh, real quick for the defense, I thought they played well. Troy's got a couple of really good receivers. DeAndre Douglas is, you know, in my opinion, after you know seeing after rewatching the game and seeing some of the plays he was making, he could play on my team any day. I know he's playing at Troy, but the guy had 11 catches for 93 yards and two touchdowns and looked extremely athletic doing it. Um, so sign me up for the DeAndre Douglas hype train. Um, so if you're wondering who he is and you're playing some sports Jeopardy, uh, he's a receiver for the Troy Trojans, and he had two touchdowns against one of the better defenses in the country. So a uh, very good performance for him. But as far as the Clemson as offense is concerned, I mean, we were expecting the Tigers. You know, they're getting Mike Williams back. They're returning all the playmakers on the offensive side of the ball that they had from a year ago. It doesn't really make any sense. They've really struggled protecting Deshaun Watson. He hasn't looked as sharp in the first two weeks as he did last year. Only went 27-53 in this game. Uh, finished with 292 yards. Had a couple of bad interceptions, I thought. Um, threw three touchdown passes, which good thing he did because the Tigers might have been upset if not. Um, and Watson had 10 carries for 55 yards. I mean, they're not really establishing a run game with anybody other than Watson. Wayne Gallman had only nine carries for 34 yards. Joey, I know you're not as high on Wayne Gallman as I am, but I think they definitely need to get him more involved moving forward. I think the, the fact that Clemson is not running the ball very well right now, I think that's a big indicator as to why they're struggling in the passing game. And I think to see the Clemson offense that we're all used to seeing, the one that put up so many points a year ago, I think they're definitely going to have to run the football more. And I, and I think, you know, not only run it more, but run it better than they have because they have not run the football very well to date. You're right that an offense such as Clemson's where they're, they're very capable of putting up big passing numbers. Uh, it's, it's interesting because they put up these big passing numbers, but so much of that is predicated on whether they can run the ball. And you're correct in saying that I, I'm not super high on Wayne Gallman. I'm not a, a particularly big fan of his. But I don't think that this is his fault necessarily. I, as I watched this game again in the first half, man, the Clemson offensive line was not doing a whole lot. And they are not impressive. And it makes no sense because they didn't lose a ton last year. And so you figure you bring back a similar unit, they should give you similar results. And yet, as Georgia Tech found out last year, not always the case. Um, so Clemson's got to figure some stuff out here because, th I mean, they're starting to fall a little bit in the rankings as people start to question them. Um, I know that Sean Watson came out today as we record here on Monday. He came out today and said something about he's, you know, he's determined to fix his negative energy on the sideline, uh, whatever that means. But really, I mean, Clemson's got to get it together because what they're doing right now is not good enough to beat uh, some of the best teams that they're going to face this year, namely Florida State and Louisville. The way they're playing right now, I, I would put them as an underdog in both games. And this is the team that I picked to win the entire, you know, to win the ACC and, and be in line to win the whole thing at the end of the season. Um, they, they are nowhere near ready to do any of that right now. Uh, this looks like a team right now that could lose not one but two games in conference at least the way they're playing. Um, if they show up and play like this against Florida State and Louisville, they're in trouble. And, you know, I think... A lot of the pollsters are acknowledging that, seeing Clemson fall from 2-5. to five. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to overreact. I mean, these, these are two games. Clemson won a very tough game in Week 1 on the road uh, against Auburn. They did not have their best game on offense here in Game 2 against Troy. Maybe kind of looking past Troy a little bit, just due to the fact that, you know, kind of hangover from that big win on the road against Auburn, which, 
you know, I know Auburn hasn't been great the last couple of years, Joey, but Cam and I talked about this last week. I mean, that's still a really good win on the road against an Auburn defense that looked really, really good. Um, they, they have elite-level talent on that roster, and it's just a matter of figuring it out on offense there for Auburn. But that was a big win for Clemson. It looked like they were maybe a little lethargic there early in this game against Troy. And, you know, they need to figure some stuff out. they got a lot of talent. It's a long season, but... I'm with you. If they don't figure it out soon, they're going to be in big trouble against both Louisville and Florida State. Deshaun Watson really has looked very human so far, which is not something we're used to seeing from him. He's usually shown us that he is something more than human uh, over the last year plus of watching him play quarterback. I want to I take this on a small sidetrack here just to tell a quick little story uh, so of, of this game a little bit. So as... as uh, the wife and I were driving into Dublin for our final night, uh, about to get on the plane to fly back. Uh, for those who have been to Europe and have you know modern technology, you'll know that uh, trying to use data plans over there is not a very easy or you know cost-effective thing to do, and so you're very dependent on Wi-Fi. So you kind of make sure that you connect to Wi-Fi whenever you get to certain bars or restaurants or pubs or whatever. So Saturday we drive in and we go to a, a, a pub for dinner and I turn on Wi-Fi and I flip on the Scores app on my phone to check on all the sweet college football action that was going on. And I'll be damned if I didn't think that I was using like some broken European version of the app seeing that Clemson and Troy were tied at 10 going into halftime and Georgia was like losing to Nichols State and I was like, what on earth is going on? So... Uh, I, I'm another thing that is a little bit nice being back in the states is able to a little more monitor this stuff with my own eyes versus having to trust whatever comes through on the apps. And your your tweets were hilarious too. You're like, oh look, this was supposed to be an interesting game. Oh, what the hell happened? Um, there were a bunch of those tweets because the first two weeks of college football gave us a bunch of these kind of results, not necessarily outcomes, because uh, not all these teams ended up losing, but a lot of interesting games that we weren't necessarily expecting. It reminded us why it is the game that we all know and love so much. Um, so uh, quickly want to move forward to the, a few other games here. Uh, North Carolina, after a, a little bit of an irritating loss in week one to Georgia, they get back on track. They travel to Illinois. They win 48-23. Uh, overall a good performance they got Elijah Hood the ball a little more 15 carries 88 yards two touchdowns Mitch Trubisky 24 attempts completed 19 of them for 265 two touchdowns also had nine carries 42 yards two touchdowns looked a little better Mike it's uh, a little encouraging I guess moving forward to see UNC back in form a little bit here UNC's a really good team. Uh, they made a bunch of mistakes in week one, not getting the ball to Elijah Hood more. Uh, that really cost them against Georgia, especially down the stretch when I thought Georgia's defense was a little bit vulnerable just because they had been on the field the whole game. I thought UNC could have done a better job. And they were the better team here against Illinois. It was a little bit of a trap game just because Illinois had Lovey Smith and everybody's so high on Lovey Smith in the college ranks. And it's like, okay, um, he's an okay coach, but this is UNC and they're loaded. Um, and they came out, they dominated the game. Um, it, it was a good start for Illinois, though. They were right in at the end of the first quarter, but UNC dominated from there on in. Um, the 17-point fourth quarter really put an exclamation point on the win for, for the Tar Heels. I was impressed with Mitch Trubisky. He looked much better, much more comfortable than he did against Georgia. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, you're playing Illinois, you're not playing Georgia. Um, Elijah Hood, like you said, got the ball more. Ryan Switzer had a good game in the slot, had 68 receiving yards. 
So North Carolina's back on track. That's the offense we're used to seeing, and they have to keep you know, Elijah Hood involved because as long as they do that, I think North Carolina is as talented as any offense in the country. So um, run the ball when you can. Run the ball a little bit with Trubisky um, and open up those throwing lanes for him. It should be a pretty good offensive season for the Tar Heels. One last note on this game, and this isn't really going to give you the warm fuzzies if you're a UNC fan. Still gave up almost 200 yards on the ground to Illinois. Not good. Not good. Uh, so that's a situation we'll monitor. Let's move on and talk about the game that nobody else is going to talk about, but we are because this is an ACC football podcast. Wake Forest uh, not only scored a touchdown and not only scored a second touchdown, but even scored a third touchdown, all of which came from Cade Carney. Who? Freshman running back Cade Carney of Wake Who? Forest. Cade Carney. Put up three touchdowns against Duke. Wake Forest comes away 24-14 with a win, and this feels like a little bit of a passing of the baton from teams that are probably better than anybody wants to give them credit for is, I don't think Duke is even as good as anybody wants to think they are, and they're not even that good this year, Uh, and Wake might be better, and they might actually go bowling, Mike? I'm not, I just, I I don't get it. Um, So, (laughs) I, I just don't get, okay, so Joey, you know I don't like Duke, um, I'm not high on Duke. I don't think Duke's a very good football team, but I did not see any, I don't want to say any possible way, because Wake Forest can hang with Duke, obviously. They get the win. But going into the matchup, after seeing Wake Forest in Tulane and Wake Forest only win that game 7-3, to who in their right mind would have picked Wake Forest to win the game? And a lot of people did, and good for them, because I don't. I just didn't see it. I wasn't confident picking Wake Forest. Um, Kendall Hinton got more snaps than John Walford, a quarterback. Um, uh, Hinton throws for 133 in an interception. Cade Carney, still trying to figure out who the hell that is, but he has three touchdowns on the ground, goes for 108 yards. Really good coming out party for him against a decent Duke defense. Um, they don't have Jeremy Cash, but, they, you know, a, a pretty good Duke defense. Uh, Duke offensively, Daniel Jones, I thought if Duke was going to lose this game, if there was any conceivable way, I thought he would be the reason why. But he really wasn't the reason why they lost. He still threw for 332. Did have one interception that, you know, kind of hurt them. But overall, I mean, the freshman continues to impress. He's got a pretty good arm. I'm, I'm really like him as a passer. Um, but this is a game where, look, Wake Forest defense is pretty good. Um, Tulane's offense, obviously, the opener isn't anything to write home about. So you kind of write off that performance to, okay, it was Tulane's offense. But Wake Forest just beat Duke in an in-conference game they absolutely had to have. I know it was early in the season, but if they want to go bowling, they have to win games like this, and a a really good win there for Wake, and and, you know, a team that not a lot of people were expecting to necessarily be, you know, a a team that could potentially go bowling, but now I think with a good early in-conference win and their whole season left in front of them, sitting at 2-0, I think they're in in good shape if they win four out of the remaining ten games. They should be all right. Duke and remember this in college football, sacks would count for rushing attempts. Duke in this game, 30 carries for 37 yards. Not good. Nope, that's not going to get it done, uh, even against Wake Forest, and especially not when you're giving up 24 points to Wake Forest, uh, including the several long runs. Wake Forest, meanwhile, 49 carries, 239 yards. That's almost five yards per carry for the whole team. That's, that's pretty good. That'll do it if you're uh, playing with that good of a defense. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is a scenario for Wake Forest where, you know, I, I think to win this game, they had to get something going on the ground and something going with the quarterback position, which they obviously struggled with in week one. And then defensively, like you said, like especially with Duke and a freshman quarterback, you have to do two things. You have to shut down one or the other. It's going to be the run game or the passing game. And their whole idea was, okay, if we stop down Jayla Duncan in the Duke running attack, we can let this freshman throw on us. And you know, dare him to make plays. And, and to Daniel Jones' credit, he did throw for 330, but he didn't throw any touchdown passes, and Duke was completely shut down on the ground, which ended up being the difference in the ball game. So good for Wake Forest. That's a huge win for them early in the season. It sure is. And, and I mentioned that, there, that sacks count for rushing attempts in college football because Wake Forest had five of them against Duke. Um, so good on you, Wake Forest defense. You got yourselves a win and looking pretty good so far. That's – I, I am saying nice things about Wake Forest now, so good stuff. When's the last time we could do that, right? Yeah, that's it. it's a red-letter day, Mike. Um, okay, uh, one more game we'll kind of hit on a little bit kind of quickly before we get into kind of overall takes here. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a trigger warning here. Just be careful, and then if, if you start shaking in your boots, that's okay because this affects your team coming up. I don't want to talk about it. The East Carolina Pirates have claimed another ACC victim, Mike. This time, the NC State Wolfpack. What kind, what kind of witchcraft are they cooking in uh, whatever town East Carolina is in? This doesn't make... This is another game that just didn't make any sense. Like, I, you know, East Carolina is every bit as talented as NC State, but the way NC State was playing this football game... There were thoughts in my head, like, how can NC State lose the way they were playing? And they still found a way. And East Carolina just hangs around and hangs around and hangs around. They get you tired, and then the fourth quarter, they make a play on you that ends up deciding the game. And that's exactly what happened in this one. And, you know, NC State, it was a good day rushing the ball for Matt Days. He goes for 100 yards, but, you know, it, it ended up being moot because this Philip Nelson kid from East Carolina goes for 297 and a touchdown, their quarterback. Really impressive performance. Um, you know, I, I thought NC State played pretty well offensively. They made some boneheaded plays on defense, ended up costing them the long in the long run. And East Carolina is one of those sneaky group of five teams that definitely deserves some hype as as a team that should be in a in a bigger, better conference. And maybe that's you know in the works down the line. We'll just have to see. But East Carolina always plays the Power 5 teams tough, and, and this game was no exception. East Carolina is now on a six-game winning streak against ACC competition, Mike. And do you have any idea who was the last team to beat East Carolina from the ACC and when that was? I couldn't even tell you. It was your Virginia Tech Hokies, September 14th, 2013. Give me a break. They, yeah. they have been beating up on the North Carolinas and Virginia Techs and NC States of the world ever since, and it is kind of mind-blowing. But, uh, yeah, East Carolina gets it done. North Carolina State goes into the half up 20-19 to 19, and then kind of falls apart towards the end there. Uh, kind of looked like they might get it done eventually. They had over 500 yards of offense. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, or just short of 500 yards of offense, sorry. Um, but still can't get it done against East Carolina. Um, I and not even under Ruffin McNeil anymore. So, uh, yet again, again, the, the Pirates of East Carolina claim another victim, 33-30 to over NC State. Uh, there were other, other games this weekend in the ACC. Uh, Georgia Tech over Mercer, 35-10. to 
Florida State over uh, Charleston, or no, no, excuse me, Charlotte, or who am I thinking of, Mike? Was it Charlotte? I'm pulling it up. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, Florida State be Charleston Southern. Sorry. That's some good podcast content right there. Um, oh, yeah. We are so prepared. Um, Miami coming in and... Oh, Florida Atlantic, sorry. Florida Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> Miami beating up on Florida Atlantic. We'll edit, we'll add that whole part out. Yeah, that's fine. So, but so, not. But probably not, yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was one other game in the ACC that is worth talking about. And uh, first of all, this is a team that I did not get to talk about, which kind of embarrassed the conference as a whole. Losing by three touchdowns at home to an in-state FCS team in week one, and then week two they follow that up by traveling to Eugene, Oregon, and putting up maybe what you could call a, a uh, an admirable performance, if you will, uh, losing 44-26. That's the Virginia Cavaliers. They are the Division Two football power of the state of Virginia. This team... I just can't get – and this isn't because I'm a Virginia Tech fan. I, I mean, part of it, I guess, is just due to hostility. But I don't understand how you could lay an egg like they did against Richmond and then come back the following week, and you're playing a pretty tough opponent in Oregon, but your defense is just so bad. I, I just don't – you know, Oregon's offense, look, pretty good offense, but they're not what they once were. Royce Freeman, the Oregon running back, 21 carries for 207 yards, two touchdowns. He averaged 9.9 yards a carry. He was getting almost a first down every time he touched the ball. I mean, that's just, it's unacceptable. Bronco Mendenhall, look, good hire for Virginia. He needs to get his guys in there because until he does, this is going to be a huge problem for Virginia. They look as bad as they ever have. Um, Kurt Benkert had another decent performance. He's got to take care of the football, though. He threw another two-interception game, um, had 193 yards passing. Just an up-and-down performance out of the Virginia offense, but the defense needs to play better. Um, that's obviously the Achilles heel of the team right now, especially coming off the Richmond performance two weeks ago, losing to an FCS team the way they did, getting blown out of the stadium at home, and going to Oregon and losing the way they did. Virginia needs to turn this thing around. I don't think either of us thought that they were necessarily a bowl team uh, this season anyway, but... They need to start to look better under Bronco Mendenhall. I mean, this is just kind of unacceptable no matter what kind of players are on the field for Virginia. Gave up a pedestrian 632 yards of offense to Oregon, which I think, ironically, is the same number of rushing yards that Baylor had against UNC in the bowl game last year. Just bringing that up. Sorry, UNC fans. Um, yeah, so overall, I mean, was there anything that really surprised you here in Week 2, Mike, uh, as far as just outcomes or... Did we learn anything big time about the conference before we move on? Uh, Lamar Jackson is a Heisman contender. Um, no, but for real, he is. Clemson, yeah, for uh, for real. That's not false Heisman watch. I mean, for real, he's a Heisman contender. Uh, Joey and I have been on that train since the preseason. We'll continue to ride that hype train until it you know, goes quietly back into the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully it doesn't. But... Um, <laughs> Clemson has some serious issues on offense, I think. Um, some issues with the offensive line that I'm not sure are easily correctable. Um, so that's something to watch moving forward. If Clemson's offense doesn't get untracked, this could be a three-loss team, potentially, uh, down the line. I mean, I think it's that, it's that kind of issue for them. Um, Virginia Tech has a major fumbling problem. I mean, if you have ten fumbles through your first two games, what other way to characterize it other than you have a huge issue running the football right now? Um, so that's another big takeaway. 
Miami, I mean, I want to see more out of them. I think the offensive line's played better, but they've played nobody. I mean, Florida Atlantic and Florida A&M at the first two weeks. Um, you know, I haven't learned much about them yet. And Brad Kai had two interceptions against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is a, is a better team than Florida A&M, obviously, and, and played Miami relatively tough. Uh, Miami just had too many athletes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I think that the Pittsburgh secondary is a little bit of a question mark. I think we have more questions than answers at this point, which – I guess isn't that surprising because we're only two weeks in. Yeah, that's going to come with the territory as you talk about a whole bunch of teams that have played games against very much varying level of competition. Um, you know, Clemson's games against Auburn and Troy were significantly tougher than Miami's games against Florida A&M and Florida Atlantic. Uh, things like this that it's, it's, it's a little hard to compare apples to apples here, especially as we, we just kind of ease into conference play uh, going into week three. Uh, the only thing that, that kind of impressed me, honestly, and, and honest to God it did, was uh, was Wake and the way that they won over Duke. Um, this is a team that I, I think if they can achieve bowl eligibility, that is a big step forward for them. And their offense isn't going to be good, but as long as they can put up more points than their defense allows, which is, I mean, for an offense to put up 14 to 20 points a game is not really asking a lot. If they can manage that, Wake Forest is in good shape because that defense is is for real. So, um, a lot of situations to keep monitoring as we get a few more data points here over the next couple of weeks, I think. But um, overall, a, a reasonably good weekend from from ACC teams. I don't think anybody really crapped the bed, so to speak. So, um, you know, not too bad. Uh, before we fully close out week two and move on, which it is very much about time that we do. Uh, the, the last thing we got to do, Mike, we got to give out the Go ACC moment of the week, which, first of all, I thought you guys did a great job last week giving it to Boston College for their last drive against Georgia Tech, which was a, a whole circus of stuff that went on. Um, it was a beautiful disaster. It was an art form. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. It was that car crash that you know is going to happen and you hope doesn't, but it's just inevitable and you can't, like, look away from it. Um, it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things on YouTube. You, you rewind, like, five different times. You know what's going to happen. You just continue to watch it. You know, it's just it's one of those things. And you cringe every time, and yet you also replay it again. So um, we, I think we need to take an opportunity this week. And I don't know, as much as we're sitting here questioning this team, um, I don't know how many opportunities we're going to have to give Clemson the go ACC moment of the week. But, man, this is this is a far and away, like, it has to happen right here for me. Did you see about a minute and 45 seconds before halftime, uh, Clemson, I believe, forced a three and out on Troy. Troy punts it, and it's a little bit of, like, a, a bouncer. They didn't get a whole lot of, uh, of uh, air time on it, but kind of bounced it down there, bounced two or three times, and then Ray Ray McLeod picks it up on his own 25-yard line. Runs it all the way back to the house, dodges a few tackles, looked great. It was a big moment. It would have put Clemson up 20-10 uh, to 10 if McLeod had held onto the ball for all 75 yards of his return and not decided to drop it after 74 yards in just the latest of a trend of players who drop the football before they cross the goal line. And I, Mike, if, if I'm the head coach of that team and my player does that, I, I'm questioning whether he should have a scholarship or not because my I, goodness, <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I was gonna say the almost the exact same thing. I was gonna say don't even I, I mean revoke their scholarship. I I don't have any use for you if you're going to do the hard part and then get 
so close to the end zone and just drop the football like an idiot because you want to celebrate in front of like a hundred thousand fans, which you know part of that I get um, because you know you want to you know have that whole exciting play and celebrate with your teammates and and the whole nine. But come on now, you can't, you can't drop the ball at the two yard line. I mean that wasn't even close on replay. Ray Ray McLeod looks like an idiot. It really could have ended up costing Clemson in this game because it was a lot closer than a lot of people predicted. So it's just a huge huge play for Clemson that really could have cost them. Luckily for Ray Ray McLeod, it's a play that he can kind of take his learning experience and move on, but I'm with you. It's a situation here for the Go ACC moment of the week, and we're not going to be able to give it to Clemson very often because they're as talented still as any team in the country, and we're not going to see a lot of these issues out of them moving forward, I would guess. It's just a boneheaded play, and then Careless, and I think I think that was as representative of anything as we were seeing from Clemson's offense was just this carelessness and this nonchalant uh, attitude. Even though they were very much uh, giving Troy a game there on Saturday, I, I think if I were a head coach, you know, you, a lot of times you see like kickoff teams they got to run down and they got to touch the goal line on a kickoff or something like that. Even if the ball's been kicked out of the end zone, like I feel like I would tell my guys if you're going to score a touchdown, you got to like take a lap around the goalpost before you can drop the ball. I mean. <laughs> Don't, don't be giving away easy points like that. So, Ray McLeod, congratulations. Clemson, go ACC moment of the week. Uh, don't do that again. That was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> all right, week two in the books. Uh, let's move on now that we are an hour into this podcast. It is time to talk about week three, where as much as week two seemed a little weak and ended up giving us a little more of a run for our money than we were expecting, uh, week three is pretty loaded in the ACC, Mike, and we got to talk about off the top is one of the probably the two or three premier matchups of the entire season in the conference is going on at high noon uh, on ABC following College Game Day on site. The Florida State Seminoles, number two, three and a half point favorites, going on the road to number ten Louisville to take on Lamar Jackson. And we, the only real big piece of news that we have uh, as far as, I guess, the whole conference really goes going into week three, as we record here on Monday night again, is we found out today that Florida defensive back Derwin James is going to miss this game and maybe several others. He's got to have some knee surgery, I believe. Uh, that's, a, that's a big loss. That's arguably Florida State's best player on defense. Um, that's... And, and Florida State is not short for talent on defense by any means, but still never good to lose your best player. This is, uh, I think, this is potential to completely kind of turn the tables of how the ACC is gonna is gonna shake out this year, Mike. Is that? I mean, this is this is. Would you say this has got to be like a top three game in the conference this year? It does. I mean, it's a game that you know, ultimately could decide who wins the Atlantic Division. I mean, it's that big. Uh, Derwin James being out for Florida State is a big loss in that secondary. Florida State's as talented as any team in the country. Obviously really impressed with how they played two weeks ago, and they, and they had uh, an easy one against Charleston Southern this past weekend. But, you know, Florida State's really talented. This is another big game, a big test for DeAndre Francois, quarterback. Louisville's Lamar Jackson. We know he's going to come ready to play. And we're going to find out a lot about both quarterbacks in this game. Is Lamar Jackson as good as advertised? I mean, I think he is. He was this good last year. Now we just want to see him do it consistently against some really good opponents. Um, and Florida State's got a pretty good defense, even without Derwin James playing. So a big statement game for Lamar Jackson and Louisville. And then how's DeAndre Francois going to respond? Because, look, Louisville's defense is also really talented, and it's a game that it's not going to be real easy for DeAndre Francois, and they're going to have to lean once again on the running game with Dalvin Cook. And we'll have to see where it shakes out. But... 
I think the fact that this game is being played at Louisville is huge for the Cardinals having that game at home. And Florida State opens up as only a three-and-a-half point favorite at this point. And I have to say Louisville does have a chance to win this football game if Lamar Jackson plays well because they've looked better than I've expected them to in the first couple of weeks. And I, I thought they'd be a pretty good team entering the season, but I wasn't expecting their offense to be quite as dynamic as they have shown so far. I mean, this is definitely best-case scenario with how Lamar Jackson has played. I'm going to stick to my guns here a little bit, Mike, in saying that I, I do not think that Louisville's defense is anything particularly impressive. Uh, I think that this is the year, again, that it's good that their offense is taking that next step because it's necessary as their defense is going to give up a lot of points. And so I think that if Francois gives us what we think we're going to see from him, given what we've seen the first two weeks here, uh, I don't think that Florida State's going to have a whole lot of problems scoring. And so the, the big question is what can that Florida State defense do against what has really looked like a very potent Louisville offense scoring 132 points in the first two weeks of the year um, I uh, if I had to pick a winner for this game I feel weird like I, I kind of want to pick Louisville I think this might be one of the first big like upsets of the year so to speak if it's really a big upset for the number two team to lose to the number 10 team on the road. Um, but I think Florida State has a lot of playoff aspirations right now. I think a lot of people think that they will go to the playoff, and so I'm going to call it an upset. I do not feel good about it at all, and frankly, this is probably just me going with my heart. Uh, I think my mind tells me that Florida State is going to win this game. But I, I, I tend to think that if you get one more really good showing from Lamar Jackson this weekend, uh, both through the air and with his legs... I think he is he is in the driver's seat to win the Heisman going forward. Who, who, you, I, who you got here? I love Louisville in this game, Joey. I love Louisville in this game. I mean, Florida State, all the credit in the world you know, for them to come back the way they did two weeks ago after falling down to Ole Miss. But if they do that against Louisville, I don't think they're coming back because I think Lamar Jackson will go in for the kill if he goes up two or three touchdowns. I mean, I don't think this is a scenario where Lamar Jackson is going to make a whole lot of mistakes if his team gets up. And... Losing Derwin James, that's a big loss um, in the back end of the secondary. I know Florida State's really talented, but anytime you lose one of the best safeties in the country, it's a big loss. Louisville's at home. It's a noon kickoff, which is always weird for, for both teams. I mean, noon kickoffs, it's real early. I mean, that's you know, you're waking up early for those games. Um, I like Louisville at home. It's a tough environment to play in. I love the way Lamar Jackson's playing right now. I don't think anybody is slowing him down. And I could be proven wrong this weekend, of course, but with Derwin James out, I still want to see more out DeAndre Francois. I mean, he looked great a couple weeks ago against Ole Miss. He had a pretty good game again this weekend against Charleston Southern, which, you know, filed out under who the hell cares. They didn't play anybody. Um, but, you know, Florida State's going to win this game. I think Dalvin Cook will be the reason why. But I think Louisville's defense makes a couple big stops, and, and Lamar Jackson does what he's been doing the last couple of weeks. I really like Louisville in this game. I'm going to pick them to win an upset as well. So we both got Louisville here. I, I'm going to give you one little tidbit here. I think that the, the single key matchup in this game that could determine the whole thing and how it turns out, Florida State's highly talented and dangerous defensive line against Louisville's occasionally shaky offensive line. Uh, that could very well determine how this thing ends up. But let's move on, Mike. Uh, this, this next matchup in the ACC, sort of in the ACC, uh, is your number 18 Notre Dame Fighting Irish, seven-point favorites at home against number 12 Michigan State, 7.30 p.m. on, M on NBC. And I, uh, I don't know. I mean, Michigan State at number 12, they've lost their quarterback, and there's all sorts of 
I just can they score to keep up with Notre Dame here, especially on the road in South Bend? I don't think so. I think Notre Dame, if they stop the run, they'll be in good shape. I mean, I don't think Michigan State can keep up with Notre Dame, especially through the air. Deshaun Kaiser had another good weekend uh, throwing the football. It was Nevada, but that game got out of hand quick. Notre Dame's got a really good running game right now. Uh, Josh Adams, Dexter Williams is back from suspension. Uh, Tarian Folson, of course, coming back from being injured last year. Notre Dame's got a lot of question marks at receiver. The one good tidbit of information is that Torrey Hunter is back practicing with Notre Dame. He missed last weekend with a concussion after taking that huge hit against Texas over the middle, uh, in the middle of the end zone. Um, in that game, as, as Notre Dame was furiously scoring back and forth with Texas, um, but Torrey Hunter is one of the more uh, experienced receivers on the Notre Dame uh, on the Notre Dame offense, and it looks like he he's a good bet to play against Michigan State, which, at least at this point um, on Monday as we record, which is good news for Notre Dame. Um, I'm taking the Irish. I don't think it's a homer pick. I think Michigan State's overrated at number 12. I think Michigan State has a pretty good defense, but Notre Dame's offense can score with anybody in the country, and it doesn't matter what defense they're playing. I think their offense is that good. They're that dynamic. A bunch of different playmakers running the football and receiving. Receivers are a little unproven, um, a little young, but um, I like Notre Dame uh, to win this football game. I'm right there with you. Michigan State, I think their defense can keep them in this game. I just don't know that they've got the offensive firepower to sit with Deshaun Kaiser and Equinemia St. Brown and Torrey Hunter and all his, his whole set of weapons there on the offense. Um, I think Notre Dame is going to outscore Michigan State. I, I think they end up covering this seven-point spread. Maybe they push it worse, but I think this is probably at least a seven to ten-point win from for Notre Dame at home. And and I think that they'll they'll redeem themselves a little bit from what they suffered on the national stage a couple weeks ago against Texas. Um, moving on, Mike. Next big one that neither team is ranked, but sneaky kind of big game for you know again kind of establishing the ACC on a national stage. Uh, the unranked, and I think that's a bit of a crime, the unranked Pittsburgh Panthers on the road at Oklahoma State, 3.30 p.m. on ESPN. Pittsburgh is a six-and-a-half-point underdog, and this is a tough road trip. Um, and like you said earlier, Oklahoma State coming off of a rough, rough loss that probably shouldn't have been a loss last weekend if, you know, the referees, like, were following rules and stuff. But uh, so they're going to be ready to get one back. Stillwater's a tough place to play. We've already talked about we like a lot of what we've seen from Pittsburgh so far. What, what do you make of this game? Who you got? I like Oklahoma State even more than I like Pittsburgh in this game. I think it's the worst possible week for Pittsburgh to go on the road to play Oklahoma State. It was a big win for Pittsburgh last weekend. They had this three-game stretch, which we talked about when we did our season previews, that was kind of daunting, but if Pittsburgh got through it, we didn't see many losses remaining on their schedule if they got through this stretch. This is the one game that I thought they would drop initially right off the bat because Oklahoma State's got a prolific offense and they're playing in Stillwater. And that's that's going to hold true for me here going into the week after seeing two weeks of both teams play. Um, I, I think Pittsburgh will hang around. I don't think it'll be a blowout. But after what happened to Oklahoma State there last week and, and all the issues with the officiating against Central Michigan at the end of the game, um, which really got taken away from Oklahoma State in my opinion, I think they'll come out motivated and ready to play and, and wanting to prove on national stage that they're definitely a top 25 or even a top 20 team. Um, I think Pittsburgh deserves to be in the mix as well as far as a top 25 team is concerned, but they're playing Oklahoma State in the worst possible week, so I like Oklahoma State to win this one, but I think it'll be pretty close. I think a lot of this is going to come down to Oklahoma State's mentality against, uh, again, coming coming in in a week when they've been told, oh, you had that game won. You, you literally won the game until... Uh, the rules were not followed, sorry. Um, 
do they come in, you know, pissed off, ready to prove a point, or do they come in distracted and still, you know, kind of barking at the referees? Hey, we should have won last week. You know, are they are they focused on Pittsburgh or not? If they are, I think that they can come out and win this game. Uh, again, tough road trip for Pittsburgh, and and I think Oklahoma State has the firepower on offense to kind of expose a potentially flawed Pittsburgh secondary. But um, uh, this is also going to be interesting because. This is going to be far and away the best rushing team that Oklahoma State has seen so far in Pittsburgh. Uh, in two weeks so far, they've given up only 154 yards on 72 carries. It's marginally better than two, two yards per carry, but that's also against southeastern Louisiana and central Michigan. Uh, so I think if Pittsburgh can get the ball going on the ground, they can kind of control the clock, control the pace of the game. They can very much make this like a grinded-out kind of game that, that makes it very tough for Oklahoma State to get in rhythm and, and – get their up-tempo offense going so Pittsburgh has more than a puncher's chance here and I could see them getting the upset uh, but I, I I'm gonna pick Oklahoma State just for the sake of, of how I think this one will turn out but that'll be a fun one to watch I, I would tune into that one at 3 30 p.m. on ESPN if I'm if I'm a normal ACC fan uh, we'll keep moving here trying to work through these games weird one of the weirdest games of the entire year and this is on a national scale at noon on ESPN, number 25, the ranked Miami Hurricanes, five-point favorites on the road at Appalachian State in a game that a lot of people look at this and they're like, I, I think they mixed up the home team and the away team columns. I mean, Miami's not traveling to Boone, North Carolina, are they? And they sure are. And this is Appalachian State, again, who two weeks ago gave Tennessee a lot of problems and might sneakily give Miami some problems this weekend too, Mike. I'm not a big believer in Miami right now. I haven't seen enough out of them yet, and I know a lot of people, especially Miami fans listening to this podcast, are like, are you out of your freaking mind? They, they won 70-3 to in Week 1. They put 38 up in Week 2. Yeah, but they, they played two schools in Florida that nobody's ever heard of. Um, App State is a team that hung with Tennessee, who Tennessee I still think is overrated. App State's got a pretty good defense, um, a decent quarterback, a very good run game. I like App State at home to upset Miami, and I could be proven completely wrong, but Joey, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. I like App State to win, and if they don't win, and if Miami blows the doors off App State, this is the week that I become a believer in Miami, and I'll keep that true, and you can hold me to that next week. Um, I will believe in Miami if they win this game, because I do not think this is an easy game against App State. Um, Maybe I'm hyping it up a little bit more than I should, but... I'm not a believer in the Hurricanes yet, and this is a game that I think would do it for me um, as they start to turn an eye towards conference play. No, this is a sneaky tough game for Miami, and one of the things that I think was a little underrated or went a little under the radar maybe against the, in the Appalachian State-Tennessee game was that Appalachian State was blowing up Tennessee on the line. Uh, their line play was very good, especially the Appalachian State defensive line against Tennessee's offensive line. So this might be a bit of a test for Miami's offensive line. Can they keep Brad Kaya upright? Can they open up running lanes for the for their backs? I'm not going to go as far to say that I think Appalachian State wins. I think that Miami will win. Um, but I think that a, a five-point spread in a game where it is Miami against Appalachian State and where Miami is ranked, I think that's kind of telling of what Appalachian State is and how good they could be. So something to keep an eye out for. I, I'm taking Miami here. You've got Appalachian State. That's... Uh, that's going to make Cam Underwood really happy and a lot of his uh, Miami Twitter real happy. But uh, you're welcome to come on and debate with us anytime, Cam. We, we love having you. So uh, we'll, we'll move on here. Georgia Tech, 
at 12.30 on the ACC Network Extra, which is that fancy new streaming service. Basically, just watch ESPN with different branding, uh, thanks to the ACC Network deal. Uh, 12.30 p.m. at home, a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Vanderbilt, and I don't like this line very much. I said today that I think that Georgia Tech could win this game anywhere between three points and three touchdowns, um, but I do think that the Yellow Jackets get it done at home. Mike, I think that Vanderbilt is a little bit of a like a watered-down version of Boston College. Uh, good defense, but not great. Maybe a, a slightly comparable offense in output. Um, is that am I looking at this with rose-colored glasses, or is that what you see as well? I like Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech can win by two touchdowns. Uh, Vanderbilt's not a very good team. They have, they have a decent defense. Their offense is nothing to write home about. Um, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot about Georgia Tech in this game. Um, they won that game against BC in the opener. Played Mercer last week, beat them to a pulp, and now they're playing Vanderbilt, who is not a great team and, and not even a good team, but. You know, this is this is a game that Georgia Tech has to have. It's out of conference and, and a game that everybody's kind of expecting them to win. I'm with you. I don't, I don't love the line at six and a half. I think it could be a little bit higher, um, but I'm comfortable with picking Georgia Tech. I think they win this game by a few touchdowns. But we've seen this act before. Georgia Tech's been favored, and then they find themselves in a tough game late, and it could be anybody's guess as to who wins. But I'm more confident in Georgia Tech than I am at Vanderbilt at this point. Moving on, Virginia Tech, six-point favorites at home against Boston College. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about this one? Love the Hokies. Take care of the freaking football. Um, you're at home. I, you know, I don't know how interested the fans are going to be in this game. Um, it's the second home game. It's the first ACC game of the year, but that was such a dud. A lot of fans have a bad taste in their mouth after how Virginia Tech performed against Tennessee basically giving away the football game or, or or maybe not giving away the game but giving away a chance to win the game or, or be in the game um, just the way they played they, they never had a shot after their five turnover performance and look Virginia Tech they're going to have to run the football well in this game Boston College is a good defense Gerard Evans needs to take care of the football but you know I still don't think Boston College's offense can score on Virginia Tech's defense I think the Hokies defense has looked as good in the first two weeks of the season as it has in the last three or four years. Um, I, I think they look healthy. They're flying around the ball. The secondary looks great. Um, I like Virginia Tech in this game, mostly because I think they'll be able to stop the run. I'm not sure um, that they'll be beaten through the air, so I'll take Virginia Tech. I think the first thing that you said here about this game is the key is for Virginia Tech to take care of the ball. That's the biggest key here is because if, if Virginia Tech takes care of the ball, doesn't turn it over, and doesn't give Boston College any short fields, that offense, I think, is going to have a really tough time scoring on Bud Foster's defense. And so I, I like Virginia Tech a lot here. The, the big wild card, of course, being the turnovers. But like you said, I, I think that Virginia, Tech, Virginia Tech's offense is going to get it done uh, at home, and they're going to, they're going to win and, and, and get it done here in their conference opener at home. Um, sadly, that would put Boston College at 0-2, especially it, – it's, it's tough because that's an improving team with a still really good defense, but – uh, I, again, I like Virginia Tech in that one as well. Uh, that game, again, at 3.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Uh, moving on, we're, we're kind of coming down to some more uh, trivial games here in the schedule. Uh, Virginia, four-and-a-half-point underdog on the road at Connecticut, 1.30 p.m. on ESPN3. I, I've, I've said before the season, and that this is what we've seen so far with Virginia, is I think that they've got some really big identity problems on offense. I think that they are trying to do some things that they're not built to do. 
This is the you know the the Lamborghini trying to go off road right now. Uh, this is just it's a bad matchup of style and personnel. I think that's going to continue against a good defensive team in Connecticut, Mike. UConn wins. I'm with you. Virginia doesn't know what they're doing on offense right now. Their defense is anything but proficient. I like UConn at home. Bob Diaco, a former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, had a lot of success with the Irish before moving on to UConn. I, I like. I like UConn to win this game. Virginia instills zero confidence right now in in anything. So you can't you can't pick their offense to do anything. You can't pick their defense to do anything. This is just a team that's caught in transition, fair or unfair. Um, you know, with with Bronco Mendenhall, I, I still think it's a great hire. I'll ride on that train until it dies. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not taking Virginia this week. Virginia's going to have a rough season here. That This first two weeks has been a, a pretty big indicator for me of where they're at, and it's not a good spot right now. That game at 1.30 p.m. on ESPN3. Mike, last week Syracuse was a 16-point home underdog to Louisville. This week they're following up at 3.30 p.m. on the ACC Network Extra slash watch ESPN as a 13-point home underdog, this time to the South Florida Bulls in a, a team that is – Probably a lot better than a lot of people realize. Uh, I, I don't know that Syracuse has that much of a puncher's chance here. I think South Florida's really good. I think they get it done, and they probably cover the 13 here. Yep, I, I hate to make this boring, but I agree with you. South Florida has a really good football team, Joey, and they're not on TV a lot, so they don't get a lot of hype. But this is a good team. It's a good chance to show it here on, on the ACC Network Extra, if you're into that sort of thing, watching games online. Um no, I like South Florida over Syracuse here as well. And and like we said before, I mean, tough to play in the Carrier Dome, and, and that's a big spread for a team to have to cover to go in there, and yet I think we're both probably going to take that from South Florida. Uh, 6 o'clock on the ACC Network Extra, NC State, a three-touchdown favorite at home against Old Dominion. And Old Dominion, not what it was a couple years ago. Uh, their, their quarterback at the time was Taylor Heineke. He's now with the, the Vikings. I know that because uh, he went to my high school, and his mother is now neighbors with my parents. So Hey, nice. How about that? Yeah, yeah some fancy knowledge. But uh, this is not your, uh, your older brother's Old Dominion team. This is a, a much more watered-down version. Uh, NC State at home, tough environment. Give me the Wolfpack here. NC State wins and covers. Yeah, big win for, for NC State. Get rolling, hopefully. Uh, coming off another tough loss to ECU. Uh, finally, there's there's a couple of, of ACC FCS games, and uh, I'm going to mention these before getting to the final ACC game, but Clemson at home against South Carolina State at noon on the ACC Network Extra. Wake Forest at home against Delaware at 6.30 p.m. on ACC Network Extra. How deflating for Wake Forest would it be to, to lose to Delaware here? Not that I think it's going to happen, uh, and not that it should happen, but stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, like Richmond beating UVA, this is a similar matchup. Uh, dangerous game for Wake Forest. They have a pretty good defense, though. They should get the job done. If Clemson does not beat South Carolina State by 40 points, I'm going to have some serious issues with them on next week's podcast. So that's how I feel about both those games. Yeah, this had better be a, a dominant performance from Clemson or else we're going to be some, sounding some serious alarms on this here podcast next week. Um, all right, Mike, last game i got to talk about here. Uh, the ACC, and not even just like a you know 
ACC against a crappy, you know, F- FCS team or a you know Group of Five team. This is an ACC team against another Power Five team in yet a game that I think has to be referred to as maybe the unwatchable. Uh, Eight o'clock on the Big Ten Network. Duke is a six-point road underdog at Northwestern, and this is not a sight for sore eyes, Mike. This is this is not good. I, I would uh, hide your kids, hide your wife before this game comes on because. That's not going to be pretty. Yeah, fade this game big time. There's no way I want to watch this 10-6 to shootout. Um, Northwestern's got a terrible offense. Duke's offense isn't much better. Defenses aren't very good. Uh, it's just uh, bad football will be played in this game. Um, I don't care who wins. Uh, I Honestly, I you know, that sounds bad. I really don't care. Northwestern, I'll take Northwestern to win. They're playing at home. Um, Duke's coming off of a brutal loss to Wake Forest, and now I have no confidence in Duke either. I mean, I don't want to put too much stock into one week, but if you can't score on Wake Forest, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to be able to score on Northwestern. So uh, I'll take the Wildcats at home. Northwestern currently on the Georgia Tech trajectory, coming off of a 10-win season in 2015, and currently 0-2 with losses to Western Michigan in Week 1, and more, most recently a... 9-7 barn burner against FCS Illinois State. Yeah, they're bad. They're bad, too. I mean, it's just, it's not a good matchup. Do, you know, go knitting or something, if you're into that sort of thing. Like, don't watch this game. There is all sorts of better football to be watched at that point of the night. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess give me the home Northwestern here, but uh, that's that's a rough one. Duke fans, look at some recruiting stuff for basketball or something. Please don't watch this game. That's going to be bad. All right, Mike, last thing we got to do here, odds and wagers. we got to talk about our picks of the week, and I'm just going to let you run me through how last week went. Okay, I came up with another loss. Surprise, surprise. I picked Clemson at 34-and-a-half to beat Troy. Oops. To which Cam said, yeah, to which Cam said, oh, man, you're changing the pick on me because I told him something different before the show last week when we were kind of playing the whole thing, and I forgot what I said at that point. Cam, well, you know, it would be great if he also won his bet, but he didn't. So he picked Miami FAU, the over 63. He came, to, he came up two touchdowns short, and then Joey, this bastard from Europe, gets the win um, because yeah. he picked Deuce. He picked Duke Wake to go under 44 and a half. There were 38 points scored, and Joey's making all sorts of money. He's 2 and 0. I'm 0 and 2. Our guest picker Cam is 0 and 1. And Joey, I think I'll get this this week started here. Our odds and wagers. You know, I would say winner goes first, but you've been in Europe, so I'm picking this time. Um, let me take Notre Dame minus seven against Michigan State. I think Notre Dame covers that at home. I think this is at least a 10-point win for the Irish. It could end up being two touchdowns. It won't be an easy game, but I think Notre Dame will pull away late. I love Deshaun Kaiser in this game. Um, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the country right now, the way he's throwing the football. Um, I think Michigan State's overrated. I think Notre Dame's defense could get to that, uh, get to, could rush the quarterback and, and, and make the Michigan State running game uh, less efficient than it usually is, and I think for those reasons, Notre Dame will cover the seven-point spread that they currently have as of Monday, so give me the Irish minus seven. I'm actually glad that you went first here, because there were 
two games that I couldn't really decide between where I wanted to go here, and luckily you picked one, so I'm going to pick the other one. Uh, first of all, the first two weeks I, I've gone 2-0 and here, but both games picking totals over-unders. Uh, I'm going to change it up this week, first of all, because no totals really jump out at me as, like, you know, egregiously high or low uh, for any of these games. Uh, but second of all, because I... I'm uh, going to feel dumb for this come, you know, late Saturday afternoon, but I'm going to take Miami to cover five on the road at Appalachian State. That just feels like... Whoa! A, yeah, Whoa! I'm, I've got some faith in Miami, and I don't know where it's coming from. Uh, and, and honestly, this is the kind of game that a Margaret coach team is destined to lose, but uh, Miami has to be a touchdown better than Appalachian State. And I think that uh, Mark Rick is trying to get some, some mojo and some momentum around that team. Uh, it, the, the Hurricanes, I think, are going to be able to do some damage up in Boone. It may not always be pretty, and it may be a little bit of a late pull-away, but I think that Miami wins this game at, by at least a touchdown. Uh, so give me Miami minus five. So, so as you said, Notre Dame minus seven, that was going to be my other pick. I like, the, I like the Irish in that game. I'll lay those points at home all, all day long. Yep. Uh, so good pick from you. I, I like Miami minus five personally. That's something that you wholeheartedly disagree with, having picked Appalachian State to win outright. But yeah, which makes which still I'm, I'm not even really confident in. But whatever. <laughs> well, time will tell. Uh, yeah. And there's probably a better chance that both of us are wrong than than anything. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I, you know I'm doing so well so far. So might as well make another bad pick. Well, uh, like you said, I, I've got a commanding. Uh, two nothing to o two lead here uh, in the picks of the week. So we'll we'll keep tracking these through the year and see uh, who the more successfully gen- degenerate gambler is. But Mike, we were determined on this podcast not to go an hour and a half, and we are now at one hour and twenty nine minutes. So it's probably time that we wrap this up. Um, any last thoughts before we go into week three here? Uh, no, we're gonna learn a lot about. A lot of teams this week. I think you know we covered all of that earlier. Um, you know, going to learn a lot about Pittsburgh and their defense against a good Oklahoma State offense. We're going to learn if Miami's for real because this is one of the tougher games on their schedule, believe it or not, uh, this year. And, and Miami, we talked about in the past, they have you know you know uh, an interesting schedule in that they have a lot of games that look winnable, but I think are kind of tough. And I think this App State game is right at the top of that list. So, going to learn a lot about Miami. Hopefully, Clemson is able to get back on track against a team they should blow the doors off of in South Carolina State, but we said the same thing last week against Troy. Um, more questions and answers still. I mean, we're only heading into week three, so um, another good week of football ahead. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is a weekend where we learn a lot about uh, some teams. I think next weekend is the same. Uh, as we, we get a few more of these kind of high-profile out-of-conference games as well as some conference openers here in the next couple of weeks. So it should be a really good week of football. Outside of the ACC, there's a lot of good games as well. But, uh, Mike, this has been fun. I look forward to doing it again next week. It's really good to be back. Uh, and uh, thanks again, huge, huge thanks for to Cam Underwood for joining us last week. Uh, that was that was great. I thought you guys both did a great job. But it uh, should be a good weekend. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Yep, sounds good, Joe. All right, we'll see how things go. But, uh for, for those of you out there on the social medias trying to reach us, uh, please subscribe on iTunes, uh, Basketball Conference Podcast, same thing on Google Play or on SoundCloud. You can hit us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we are at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email to the longest known email address uh, is in, in Gmail history, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, but for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver, and until next week, go ACC.